the folklore is that a beekeeper would take his meanest colony of bees and put them by the gate. And I had I had a bee yard out north of Longmont, and I drove up one day, and there was one colony, and it happened to be the meanest colony in the whole yard, and I probably had two dozen. It had been moved about 15 feet, hadn't been disturbed, hadn't been tipped over, but I know what happened. A bunch of kids thought it would be interesting to swipe a colony of bees, and they got about 15 feet. The bees came pouring out, and they took off. <laughs> that's my first time hearing that, putting the meanest colony near the front gate. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the folklore. Where did you first hear that? I don't know. When I first started keeping bees, when I first started keeping bees, they were all mean. <laughs> they weren't nearly as gentle <laughs> as they are today. Hello and welcome to Notes from the Bee Yard. My name is Laura Tyler. I'm your producer and host with some sad news to share. My beloved friend and production partner, Tom Theobald, passed away on Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. I loved Tom and I love this podcast because it gave us a project to work on together when we both understood that the end was near. This is episode 14, My Nemesis Returns. It's about a bear and it's about laughing and enjoying your friends. The phone rang early on October 14th, a Sunday morning. It was Chet Anderson, and at the sound of his voice, a chill crept up my spine. Now, it isn't that I don't enjoy talking to Chet, I do, but I suspected the reason for his call. Chet owns a small farm on Left Hand Creek, out near the foothills, where he raises herbs, cut flowers, and fresh produce that he supplies to area stores and restaurants. In the winter of 1986-87, he stopped by the house, introduced himself, and inquired as to whether I would be interested in putting some bees on his land. I said that I would, that in fact, I had considered inquiring about his place for several years. So in the spring of 1987, I started a small bee yard there, in a quiet, peaceful spot on the banks of Left Hand Creek. Little did I suspect what adventures awaited me. Prime bee pasture isn't easy to come by in Boulder County anymore, but I found that if I start small and content myself with a modest return for two or three years, the bees will slowly improve the environment, and the benefits will come down the road. Little by little, a wide range of plants are pollinated, set seed, and prosper. And if all goes well, the bees and I profit from our patience. It came as no surprise when the results of the first summer were mediocre. I had half expected that and was prepared to wait and see what future years brought. On a late September afternoon of that first year, two weeks after the honey had been taken off, 
and the bees secured for winter, I was passing by on my travels and turned into the bee yard for a quick check. As I pulled up, to my surprise, I could see that two colonies had been tipped over. The hive bodies had stayed together, fortunately, so I simply righted them and drove over to the house to talk with Chet. My first suspicion was that some of the local kids had been testing their manhood on the bees. I could remember making that passage myself as a six-year-old, along with a few of my little cohorts, rascals all. We chucked green apples at the neighbor's beehives, then ran like sixty as we envisioned an arrow of bees in hot pursuit, just like we had seen in the cartoons. Our mostly imaginary pursuers never caught up with us, and we all congratulated ourselves on our bravery and adventurousness. Chet assured me that there were no kids in the area and asked if maybe the cows could have reached over the fence. I ruled that out since the hives were far from the fence. What could it have been then, Chet asked, and I responded that the only thing I know of that would be able to get into the fenced bee yard and be strong enough to tip over the hives would be a bear. Incredulous, Chet said, Nah, we don't have any bears around here. I was inclined to agree, since I had never had any bear problems, or heard of any in the county, down on the plains at least. I had decided that the incident would remain one of the unexplained mysteries of life when the phone rang the next afternoon. It was a surgeon beekeeper friend who had a small yard of bees at his house about a mile east of my yard at Chet's. Tom, I've had a couple of colonies damaged. Is it possible that we could have a bear in the area? I asked Jim to describe the damage, and it certainly sounded suspicious, especially in light of what had happened at my yard. I told him I would have a look. Nothing pillages a beehive in quite the same way a bear does, and Jim's had obviously been visited by a bear. They had been tipped over and the hive bodies separated. Then the insides had been scooped out like you might clean out a pumpkin or a melon. The ground was too dry to hold any tracks, but I hadn't nosed around long before I came upon some bear signs. A bear's calling card is pretty distinctive and easy to recognize if you have ever seen it before. It had been a good fruit year along the Front Range in 1987, and Mr. Bear had been feasting on windfall apples as well as assorted melons from everyone's gardens. He had happened upon the bees in his foraging, and it hadn't taken him long to discover what a tasty bonus they were. We heard no more from the bear that fall, nor did he show up the following summer. We had just about forgotten him when he appeared suddenly in the summer of 1989 to wreak havoc all along Left Hand Creek. I hot-wired the bee yard on Left Hand Creek this spring, 
waiting for the bear to show up again, but nothing until Chet's call on the 14th. Tom, the bear is back. My neighbor a quarter mile west was out picking apples yesterday and discovered a bear picking on the other side of the tree. There has been no damage yet, and I am hoping this is a new bear, unfamiliar with the bees and seeking only to stock up on mom's apple pie before going off into hibernation. It's the bear's move next, as we all wait nervously. So something that you talk about that I found really interesting was um, this idea that prime bee pastures not easy to come by and that in two or three years you would hope that the bees would slowly improve the environment and make it better for themselves. Do you want to talk a little bit about that process and then did the benefits come at that location? I've, I've done that in two bee yards. The one at Chet's improved to the point where it was producing some substantial crops of honey. I had another one, same situation, very small production, but the landowner was so enthusiastic about having the bees there. He was a retired colonel from the Army Corps of Engineers He was so happy to have the bees out there that I didn't have the heart to take them away. So I stuck it out probably (laughs) longer than I should have. But eventually, it turned into a very productive bee yard. So my patience was rewarded. You know, I have to chuckle a little bit when you talk about um, having bees in a not-so-great location, but just enjoying the relationship with the landowner that you keep them there anyway. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I'm Um, not too practical. (laughs) So what is this relationship that the beekeeper has with the landowner, at least in Colorado front range? What's that like? Well, I've had many occasions where I've been invited to put bees on someone's property. I usually don't agree for any of a number of reasons. But one of the uh, things that really changes my mind is the attitude of the landowner. And uh, the colonel turned out to be a very good friend, very supportive. I remember the first time I went, I met him and I went out to all of his outbuildings and we were talking and out from under one of the feeders, rolls this spastic sheep. And then I looked over and I saw another animal that was limping around and I thought, what, is this guy an animal abuser or what? It turned out that he just had a big heart. He lived out on Highway 287. People were continually dropping off dogs. They would wind up at his house. Other friends knew that he was soft-hearted so that if they had a a sheep or something that they had been caring for that was debilitated, they got a hold of Tom and talked him into taking it. So he had a whole farm of 
animals that had one problem or another. He was just a very soft-hearted oh. guy. Oh, Tom. Um, let's shift over to the story about Chet and the bear. So you say in the opening of the piece that a chill went down your spine uh, when you heard from Chet. What, what about this call caught your attention when you had never seen a bear in your colonies before? Because Chet's call came after some of those other incidents that I refer to. For again, I don't know if you were around when Jim Rector, the surgeon, was a beekeeper. Mm-mm. And his wife had heard heavy footsteps on their porch. And he asked me if it could have been a bear. And I said, no, I'd never heard of a bear around there. As it turned out, it was a bear. And it wasn't long before the bear revealed himself by getting into his bees. But those were the first bear incidents that we had. And that's when all of our bear problems began. Yeah. What's it like to have a colony that gets hit by a bear? Well, it's very discouraging. I worked very hard to produce large crops of honey because that's what my business was based upon. And if a bear tips over a colony that may have 250 pounds of surplus honey on it and destroys everything, it's a substantial loss for a small business like mine. Mm -hmm. I was looking at old wood engravings, and there are many, many images from a long time ago of bears and bees. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of images, bears climbing trees, bears, as you say, scooping out, um, bears with buzzing around their heads. It's almost like beekeepers and bears have this, it's almost like a relationship that goes down through the, the ages, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're a beekeeper, sooner or later you're going to have a relationship with one or more bears. Tom, this was beautiful today. Anything else before we let you go? No. um, I would like to do at least three a week, if we can. Because like I said, uh, Tracy and I figured out the uh, timing, and it's going to be nine years to do them all. Okay. I told the... uh, PA for the oncologist that Thursday, she laughed. She's looking forward to these. (laughs) She's always been interested in bees and beekeeping. And so she's, I told her what we're doing and she's real eager to hear them. Okay. But I said, you're going to have to keep me alive for nine more years. Well, Tom, let's keep going as long as we can. You're doing great. You're sounding, you sounded fantastic this week. Really great. Well, that's good. I think when we release these to the public, we're going to have to include you in the background saying, oh, that's wonderful. That's really good. That's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need the boost from me. No, people are going to hear that. They'll hear it. Yeah, hopefully. Notes from the Bee Yard will continue. 
Tom and I recorded 40 episodes and have so far only published 14, so there's a lot more beautiful writing and chats to come. And I'll be back next week with episode 15, Summer of the Bear. Thank you.